Bibles together and turn to the book of John, John chapter 14. John 14, last week we had our praise service, so we were not in John 14. The week prior we looked at John 14, 1 through 6, and a very famous section there in John 14. And we ended with the message of Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And as we pick up today, we're going to continue on with uh, how Jesus continues his response uh, to Thomas and then more specifically to Philip. Uh, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We had a very eventful trip down to Georgia. Of course, we had the bad traffic that everyone had on Wednesday, but then we also managed to have our brakes lock up halfway down and had to go to a mechanic and get them changed. And then on the way home, someone hit a deer a couple cars ahead of us and the next car swerved and crashed and we had to stop and check on them and talk to the police a little bit. And then an hour up the road, we ran out of gas. So we've, we've put this down as our most eventful trip ever. And we're thankful that next Thanksgiving and our next trip is hopefully gonna be better than our last trip. But God was good to us. When we ran out of gas, we literally ran over right next to a AAA guy helping someone else. And so um, he was able to finish that job and then take care of us right away. So we were very blessed, even in the midst of a small trial. It's hard to blame God when you have a light on your dash that says, get gas, you know. So um, that was all on me. Uh, but we're going to read John 14, 7 through 14. And if you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading. John 14, 7 through uh, 14. And that page number is page number 1026, if you need that page number. And the Bible says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. And how do you say then, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who dwells in me. He does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these he shall do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's have prayer together. Ask God for his blessing. Brother Matt, would you pray? Amen. All right, please be seated. Sometimes I, I talk to different folks as a pastor, and people obviously come from a variety of backgrounds and perspectives, and I've had a number of people say to me that um, all the religions of the world are pretty much the same, and uh, Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or, um, you know, whatever it may be, they say Christianity is basically the same, and Usually when they say that, they are referencing something along the lines of love your neighbor as yourself, uh, be kind to others, make the world a better place, and um, certain aspects of, of Christianity that may somewhat sound like or be similar to 
the teachings of other faiths. However, one core thing that I think so many people miss when they say that is that Christianity is not ultimately a system. It is not ultimately a, a set of doctrines or a set of beliefs, although we, we definitely have beliefs and doctrines, but Christianity at, his, at its heart is Jesus. Christianity is based on a person. It's not ultimately a philosophy. It's not ultimately a set of rules. It's not ultimately um, some principle or some even way of life. It is Jesus. And when you know Jesus, then along with that, you do have doctrines and you do have a philosophy and a way of life. But that flows out of Jesus himself. You have Jesus and then you have that which flows from him. And so therefore, when I love my neighbor... I'm not simply, I shouldn't simply be doing it as a Christian because it makes me feel good or it makes the world a better place, although those two things are very true and they happen. I ultimately should be doing it in obedience to Jesus Christ, right? And our faith is connected to Jesus himself. And in this passage, I find a little bit of a rebuke from Jesus, but I also find encouragement. How long had the disciples been with Christ? Well, three years, more than three years, depending and uh, these men had spent a long time with Jesus, and they're still learning about who he is. Some of us have maybe only been saved a year or two, or maybe we've been saved 10 years, and guess what? We're still learning more about who Jesus is, aren't we? And I'm thankful that he shows them the way. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, you've had three years, all right, hit the eject button, let me start with someone else. He doesn't say that. He continues to teach them. He continues to show them. And we have a, a, a Christ and a Savior and a God who keeps teaching us. And that is encouraging to me. In this passage, we're going to find some truths about the Trinity. And if you want me to fully explain it, you're going to ask me to do miracles. And I can't fully explain it, but I do believe we can understand things a little better with the Lord's help and with the Scripture's um, words here. So in verse 7, let's get started there. In this section, we, we have oneness. The oneness that Jesus has with his Father. Verse 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus tells uh, Thomas, he's responding to Thomas here still, he says, if you had known me. Now this sounds pretty brutal, doesn't it? Because they would say, I do know Jesus. But he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And, and he's saying, look, and once you get this down, you're going to realize that knowing me is knowing the father. Knowing the father is knowing me. This verse and these verses here are teaching us that you cannot separate Jesus from his Father. They don't work independently of each other. They don't work separately. They never go against each other. And uh, we never find Christ and the Father arguing or disagreeing. They always uh, find agreement and they always work in unison. Um, I find even in the prayer of Jesus in the garden where he says, if it be possible, you know, take this cup from me. He ends that prayer by saying, not my will, but your will, right? And so even there, there is, there is agreement with the, the one purpose of God in the conclusion of the matter. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Because he is saying to them, I am the way to the Father, right? In verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, and Beyond that, it's not just that I'm the path to Jesus, or to, to the Father, excuse me, but Jesus is saying, I and the Father, we're one. We are together. And, and because we are one, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, Philip goes on and he says, well, 
Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Philip says, well, if that's the case, then you can show us the Father. He's basically saying, I want to see with my eyeballs. Show us the Father. Now, have you imagined what would happen if Jesus literally did that for them? Right? I mean, light would have broken out. I mean, a little bit probably like we think of the transfiguration, but probably times 100. And, you know, uh, because of their physical humanity, they would have died instantly in the full glory of God, and it would have been a really bad thing for them. But Because Jesus came veiled in human flesh, the Bible says. But Philip, he's the one that, that actually in John 1, he uses the phrase, come and see. And so we find Philip several times talking about seeing things with his eyes. And, you know, there are certain people that are more, what shall we say, humanly inclined towards wanting to see. You ever heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? And Philip is like, well, if that's the case, just show us the Father then. Show us with our own eyes. Let's, let's see it. Let's see it. And in a way, we can understand that request. We, we can maybe identify with that feeling. And, and so Philip is, is asking for, for proof. Jesus states it in verse 7. In verse 8, he's, he's putting it to the test. And he's saying, well, if that's the case, then uh, let us see. So moving on from verse 8 to verse 9, Jesus further says, Have I been with you so long, and still you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say then, show us the Father? The disciples have been on a journey about who Jesus is. And, and at first it was, oh, he's the Messiah. He's the, the Redeemer of Israel. He's the one that's going to rescue our nation. And then it got, it got further where he is, no, he's the Son of God. And he's not just the Messiah, but he is, he's from God. He's the Son of God. And now Jesus is teaching them very directly. And even in chapter 10, he had said, I and the Father are one, right? So he had told them this. And he's reiterating this truth of the oneness of God and the unity of the Trinity. And he's saying to him, look, I've been with you these years. Do you not really know who I am? Do you not really understand that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and we are one? Sometimes our minds do kind of bend a little bit, and we try to say, well, I sort of understand that, but I, don't, I can't precisely wrap my mind around that. Let's uh, add a couple other verses and talk about it for just a minute. In John 1.18, near the very beginning of this book, John had written and said, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And so what this is teaching us is that no one has seen God in God's fullness, in His complete display of who He is. But there is a sight of God that, that they could have, and that is that the Son of God, Jesus, was declared of the Father. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And that word declared is not just about a, a word of speech, but it's about a setting forth. He has put Him there. He has declared Him. He's set Him forth. And so the Son has come down from the Father in human form. And no one has seen God in His fullness, but we have seen the Son. And Philip is sitting in that room and he's looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And and the Word of God is clear about this, that Jesus is God incarnate, God come in the flesh. And so Philip is having a hard time understanding this. And uh, Thomas has asked his question, Philip has asked his question, and Jesus is saying, look, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me, I am in the Father. There's no division or separating out of 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 the father and i 
Now, in a moment later in the passage, which we'll look at next week, he's going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has the same traits and the same characteristics as the Father and the Son in that he is God of very gods as well. Another uh, verse that helps us, I think, is Hebrews 1.3. And this is speaking of Christ. And it says, Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The phrase I want to emphasize, it says the express image of his person. This is not speaking of a reflection, but rather it's saying that this is the exact um, identity and uh, essence of, of God himself. And so when Christ came in human flesh, he was still completely God. His deity was intact. He, the God of heaven, came down to earth in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, he says, look, have you, do you know me? Do you know me for who I am? This truth about the oneness of Christ with the Father is important, first of all, for trusting the Jesus of the Bible. When we trust Christ, we want to trust the Jesus of the Scriptures, the historical, actual Jesus, the Jesus as described in the Bible, the Jesus that the apostles knew and believed in. Unfortunately, there have been some who have tried to create false Jesuses, and they have created, uh, you know, made up things and, and stories and things that are not true about Christ. And so, you know, there are some that would say Jesus came to the USA and he went around the USA and did this and that. There are others that would uh, create fictions about Jesus with regard to his birth. And they would say he was actually born of Joseph and Mary and he was a normal human just like we are. And so these, these fictions of Jesus, what they create is a false Christ who is not the Savior, who is not the Son of God. And that is a, an awful thing because the Bible even warns us about false Christ. Right? So we need to just recognize that when we trust Christ, we trust the Christ of the Bible. And um, a person doesn't have to know all the intricacies of the Trinity to be born again. They don't have to know every single detail. But a simple recognition that I'm trusting the Jesus of the Bible, I'm trusting the Jesus that the Scripture tells me about, that is sufficient. That is sufficient. And, and yet we know there are uh, false teaching that would attack the nature of Christ. In fact, that's one of the key characteristics of cults and false churches is they attack the nature of who Jesus really is. So Jesus is saying, I've been so long with you. You still don't know me, Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let's look at this uh, beyond this explanation now. Let's look in verse 10 and 11 at, at this fact of his oneness believed. And he asked Philip in verse 10, and then in 11 he addresses all the disciples. So let's read here. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. He asks Philip specifically, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I'm thankful Jesus did not say, don't you understand Right? He didn't say you have to understand it all. He didn't say you have to be able to explain it all. He says, don't you believe? And he asked Philip, don't you believe that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? Jesus is calling Philip to a faith. And maybe a faith that he can't fully explain or understand. But he says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? When Jesus worked, when Jesus spoke, when Jesus 
interacted on this earth. He did not do so separate from the Father. He did so, he did so in, um, in coordination and in unity with the Father. He did so in a way that, um, that the Father was at work. It was not just Jesus off doing his own thing. He says in verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10, the words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who dwells in me. He does the works. This is a little uh, strange to us because we, we might tend to think, well, didn't, didn't Jesus have power of, him, of his own self? Didn't, wasn't Jesus able to, to do these things? Why does he say that the Father does it? Well, again, this is that unity that Jesus is trying to show that when Christ came to earth, he did not come alone, but this was God. All of, of who God is was at work there. Sometimes people try to separate out the Trinity, and it is difficult because there are certain uh, actions or certain roles that we sometimes see given to the Spirit or the Father or the Son. But if we read carefully, we see that they always work in unity. For instance, in our salvation, um, the Father, Christ, and the Spirit are all involved in our salvation. And we don't, we don't say that um, Jesus saved me, but the Holy Spirit didn't save me. We would never say that, right? All of who God is was involved in our salvation. And so we cannot separate them um, one from the other. They work in unity and they work in union. Now in verse 11, he addresses all of them. And he says this, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. He calls all of his disciples to believe him. Look, look back at verse 1 for just a minute. And uh, verse 1, he told them this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see that phrase, believe also in me. Here in verse 11, he says, believe me. So in verse 1, he said, believe in me. And in verse 11, he said, believe me. Now, there's not a great difference between those two things. But believing in Jesus is maybe we might think more of the facts of the situation or uh, under, embracing the truths that are being given. But in verse 11, he says, believe me. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you gave an account and you said, this is what happened. This is what went down. This is what was said or whatnot. And someone just looks right in your face and says, I don't believe you. That's a tough moment, right? Because you're like, were you there? No, you weren't there, but I was there. And that is how it went down. That is what was said, right? And Jesus here is pointing out when he says, believe me, he's calling them to trust his nature and to, to believe him to be credible. In other words, that, that even if we don't understand something, we simply say, that's what Christ says, and therefore I believe it. You know, there is within us, in our human doubt, in our skeptic natures, to say this attitude of, I will only believe those things that I can fully explain and understand. And yet, when we come to faith in Christ, can I just say, there will be things you don't understand. There will be moments, there will be situations, there will be truths in the scripture that you cannot fully wrap your mind around. But Jesus here says this, believe me. And this is an anchor that can help us. And when we come upon those moments that we can't explain or we don't understand, we simply say, I believe Christ. I believe Him. I believe that He is still at work. I believe His Word is true. I believe that what He said is correct, even if I can't fully understand or explain it. And in the passage, I don't believe those disciples could leave that room and say, all right, I can fully explain the Trinity to you now. But you know what they could say? Jesus has told us the truth. 
And he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And so believing in Christ and believing Christ, they're very much two sides of the same coin, but one's more about embracing and believing the person, and the other is a little bit more about the facts and the details, if you will. Jesus is credible, and he is worthy of our confidence. Now, in these final verses, we're going to shift a little bit, and we're going to uh, give more focus to the works. In verse 11, he ends by saying, believe me for the very works' sake. And earlier in the book, he had said this, Jesus did these works, and he called people to faith. But I want you to read verse 12, and I want you to think about this for just a minute. This is an important verse. Truly, truly. Literally, it's amen, amen. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these he shall do because I go to my Father. Now, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but if you're here and you say, I have believed in Jesus Christ, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, do you know that this verse says that you'll do greater works than Jesus? Now, some of you are already saying, Pastor John, I, 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 it's in the Bible, I, I read it, and uh, it must be true, but I haven't seen myself do greater works than Jesus. If I could remind us that just a couple chapters ago, what was Jesus doing to Lazarus? Raising him from the dead, right? Last I checked, I hadn't seen any of y'all raising anybody from the dead. So as we read this verse and we try to understand it, is Jesus saying that we will do greater quality of works than he did? I mean, what, can you, what could be greater than raising someone from the dead? I mean, but the verse says, those who believe on him will do greater works than these. This is a, let me just say that this is a, a, a key verse for charismatics and for those who really, really push the miraculous and emphasize that. And they'll point to this verse and they'll say, see, Jesus raised from the dead, we should be able to raise from the dead. And Jesus healed the lame and, and the sick and so on, and we should be able to do the same. I think there's an important, well, let me say there's two things that, that apply to this. When Jesus says greater works, he could be referring to greater in number, all right? Let's remember, when Jesus lived on this earth, he was in a human body, and everywhere he went, he was in that one place, right? He was in that one specific area, and Jesus, when he, let's, let's use the example, when he fed the 5,000 on the hillsides by the sea, those in Jerusalem had no miracles come to them, right? Jesus was there, he was working there, and he was not in Jerusalem. All right, humanly speaking, he was limited to that one area. And so what we see here is that when the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells the hearts of God's children, now the work of God, specifically the work of, of God's presence, is not limited to one place, but it's spread all over. I mean, if we just think about this morning, you realize there are believers all around the world that are gathering, that are worshiping, that are praising the Lord. People are coming to faith. People are growing. People are taking steps in their spiritual life. And that's all around the world. That's happening everywhere. And when Jesus was on the earth, that work of God was limited to where he specifically was. So there is an, a sense in which we can see that greater in number and a distribution through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to also suggest that there's another meaning. And I want to teach this meaning through another scripture, and then make application. In Luke 10, and I'll just read, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 10, verse 17, Jesus had sent out the 70 to preach and to do miracles. And when they came back, they were really thrilled about the miracles they had done. And specifically, let me read Luke 10, 17. 
And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. Notice that phrase, through your name. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you by any means. Sounds pretty impressive. But listen to what Jesus says next. However, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus gives them this power, and miraculous power. He gives these 70, but when they come back full of joy about it, really excited and thrilled about this power that they have, Jesus tells them, you should not rejoice in that, but you should rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Interesting. Interesting. Here are, are these 70 doing miraculous deeds, casting out demons, treading on serpents, doing miraculous things, and Jesus says, don't take your deepest joy in that. Take your deepest joy that your name is written in heaven. Hmm. And as I think about this, and I connect it to this passage, and I just think about church history and all that, that has followed since Jesus uttered these words, I have to understand as I think about this that when Jesus said that greater works were going to be done, he was referring to spiritual works. He was referring to, let me suggest a, a few examples of this. Do you remember when Jesus broke bread and, and he created all those meals, the bread and the fish? There was 5,000 that were fed on that day, just men. And then there was women and children beyond, right? But the number was given as 5,000. But do you remember what happened later? We read about it as we went through John in John 6. They left him because he stopped feeding them bread. And Jesus said, you just came to be filled with bread. And they did not believe on Christ, did they? They rejected him. But do you remember what happened just 40 days after Jesus ascended to heaven? What happened on Pentecost? Peter gets up and preaches. And how many people are saved on the day of Pentecost? 5,000. Did that ever happen in the ministry of Jesus? No, it did not. When we study the, the, the spread of the church, we find that in just a very short time, in a century or two centuries, we find Christianity spreading all throughout the Roman Empire. And we see people turning from idols to worship Christ, turning from their false gods to embrace the true God of the Bible. Did that happen during the ministry of Christ? It did not. It came after the Holy Spirit came. And I want to give you one other example do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, which we're going to get to very, very quickly here? Jesus told Peter, all of you shall be, shall be ashamed of me and, and shall leave me. And it's true. His 11 disciples ran that night. They ran in fear. And eventually Peter and John kind of did come around to watch some of the proceedings. But it was in that context that Peter betrayed the Lord or denied the Lord. But I want to point you to others who since the coming of the Holy Spirit have never one time with their physical eyes seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what they've been willing to do? They've been willing to give their life for the sake of the gospel. I could tell you of a Polycarp and how he marched with joy to the martyrs burning. He, he went with joy and with peace. There, I could tell you of others throughout, down throughout church history that have been killed for having a Bible, for not having their infant baptized. And on and on I could go. But in faith to Christ, they said, He is worthy and I will give my life for the Lord Jesus. And we don't find that during the ministry of Christ, do we? But we find it 
after the Holy Spirit has come. And I want to say this should give us great encouragement. The, the one soul turning to Christ in faith is, is much greater than 5,000 being fed with bread. One soul that, that for all eternity is now redeemed and in the Father's hand and is secure until that moment of redemption. That work of God is beautiful. It is special and it is powerful. And we get to have a part in that. As we pray for souls, as we love others, as we do the work that we do, when God moves, let us remember we are doing a very great work. It is not just playtime. It is not just leftovers. No, this is the main thing. And he says, you will do greater works than these. Jesus came and he did wonderful and powerful things. But he promised that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will do greater works than he did. I think for us, maybe a part of our part is simply believing that this is so. You know, sometimes we, we really, um, there's a sense in which we limit ourselves, but let's be careful to remember that it's not us that does this, but it's God in us. It's His work in us. And the Scripture is going to make that very clear in these following verses. It's very interesting to me that greater works is talked about in verse 12. And what is it that He quickly follows it up with? He quickly follows it up with talk about prayer. Verse 13, And whatever you ask in My name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it. Wow, these verses sound so wonderful to us. But I think we must connect them with verse 12. Jesus promised that those who believe in Him will do greater works than He did. And He quickly says, if you will ask in My name, I will do it. And so what, what Jesus is laying out here is a, an identity that, that Paul talks about. The New Testament talks about this a lot. In Christ, in Him. Uh, one with Christ. And this is this. When we believe Christ, we become one with Him. We're baptized with Him. We're crucified with Him. We're risen with Him. We're together with Christ. And what this means now is that because we're one with Christ, Christ is one with the Father. We have been connected to God Almighty. And God, in His full power, can work through us. He can use us. He can change us. And He says here, if you will ask anything in My name, I will answer so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, the Son has been connected to us. We've been connected to Him. And the Father wants to glorify the Son. And the Son stands before the Father and He shows His wounded hands and claims us as His own. And He intercedes for us. And He defends us against the attacks of Satan. And now that we're His, we come to Christ and we say, Dear Lord, would You work in this situation? Would You change? Would You rescue this soul? Would You intervene? And remember, this is happening all around the world. And Jesus in His power, He is moving and He is working and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, He is answering prayers. He is changing lives. And as that goes on, guess what? God gets the glory. Because it's not us that's doing it. No, no, no. It's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. And His power is at work. And so He calls us and He says, greater works and whatever you ask in My name. Again, many people divorce this quickly and they, they, you know, again, the prosperity preachers love a verse like this. And they say, well, in the name of Jesus, I claim the Lamborghini. In the name of Jesus, you know, and they just kind of say whatever they want. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you'll ask in My name. And this asking in His name is, yes, asking in the authority of Christ, but it's asking also within His purpose and within His will. 
And it, it's within God's purpose to rescue souls from hell. It's within God's purpose for believers to turn away from sin. It's within God's purpose to turn hearts to Himself, right? And so as we pray in the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the glory of Christ, in the will of Christ, God says, hey, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to move so that my Son will be glorified. And God is glorifying Himself all around the earth. We also see a reference to this name in Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power has been given to me in heaven and, and on earth. Therefore, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that phrase, in the name of, speaks of under the authority of. And when we pray under the authority of Christ, we're praying for His will, for His purpose, for His glory. And guess what? When God moves, God gets the glory. There's two things, well, three things really that, that are key for this greater works. And the first is you have to believe, right? And it's not believing that you'll do great works. That's not specifically what he calls you to believe. But you believe Christ. You believe him in salvation. You trust him. And that's what opens this passageway of the spirit to live within, of these great works to flow. So the first step in these great works is belief in Christ, faith in him. And then the second thing I see in the text is certainly an awareness and a recognition that God will do great works. We don't always see it. We don't always see the full fruit of it. But God has promised that he will do great works through us. I don't know the battles that you all face. I don't know what goes on in your hearts and minds. But I know sometimes Satan would tempt us to think, God can do nothing with me. God's not pleased with me. God's not excited with me. And um, God's going to have to use someone else because I'm just no good. And I want you to see that that is in, in complete contradistinction to what Jesus is teaching us here. What he's teaching us here is quite the opposite. That because I believed in Christ, I am one with Christ. And Christ wants to exalt his Father through me. He wants to do great works through me. And if we will believe this and embrace this and believe what he has said is true, I believe more work for the Father will be done through us. Yes, we want to live pure for the Lord. We want to do right by the Lord. But we all live in grace. We all are unprofitable servants, the Bible teaches. And so wherever we are in our obedience and our sanctification journey, let us all just say, dear God, I've trusted you. I believed, I've placed my faith in you, and you said that those who believe in you, great works will be done through them. Greater than what you did on earth. And so I look for that. But then next we see prayer. In verse 13 and 14, he emphasizes prayer. And this is a key that I think should not be missed, that when he promises great works, he immediately says, ask in my name. Ask in my name. Ask and I will respond. Ask and I will do. I will glorify as you ask. And so God calls us to pray. And I think prayer is what helps us see that when God moves and works, it's Him doing it, right? It's not us, it's Him. It's Him answering prayers. It's Him moving things forward by His power. And then lastly, which we'll get into much more next week, is how He promises them the Holy Spirit. And um, he, he specifically says that He will give them another comforter. He will abide with them. And throughout these next chapters, there's a lot of important truth given about the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls Philip and he calls all of his 11 disciples to believe him for who he is. And I think if you're a believer here today, you would say, I want to believe the Jesus of the scriptures. I want to know him for who he is. I want to have my faith in him 
uh, for, for who he is in reality. And we know that the Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father and they cannot be separated apart the one from the other. We also find in this passage that God wants to do great works through you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? Or do you say, that's impossible? Well, let me remind you that all things are possible with God. All things. And he calls you to believe it and he calls you to pray. And so my challenge to you this week is what are you going to pray for so that the Father would be glorified in the Son? What are you going to pray for that great works can be done through your life? God wants to work through us. He truly does. That's not just encouraging speak from a pastor. That's straight scripture. God wants to do great works through you. This gives me a lot of encouragement because it says, look, this is what God's doing. He's calling us to be used in his hands. He's calling us to prayer. And what are you going to pray this week? Are you going to pray in faith? Are you going to look? I know that there are moments where we think to ourselves, boy, I sure don't see much happening. You know, I prayed about this and I prayed about that, but I don't, I don't see much happening. But I, I was recently encouraged very deeply in Colossians 1. At the very end of Colossians 1, Paul said this. He said, he says he labors, he works for the Lord. And he goes on to say that God works in him. And it was beautiful to me because it reminded me that, yes, we work for God, but God works in us. And if we get to working for God and we don't believe God's working in us, we're going to get discouraged real quick, right? But if we remember that, hey, I, I do what I can for the Lord, I seek to walk with Him, and, and then I just rest in the fact that God is at work in me. God hasn't left us. No, He's still doing the work. He's doing greater works. And this should cause us to, to recognize the privilege we have. We sometimes think back on these disciples and those that lived in Jesus' day, and we say, man, they had it good. I mean, they had it great. They got to see Jesus. They got to see these miracles. Man, I wish I lived back then. Maybe a little bit. But here, we have the promise of greater works. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And Jesus is going to tell them in a minute, he's not in you right now. This is our gift. This is our privilege. And so let's pray in faith. Let's embrace this fact that God is at work in us and he is doing greater works. This tells me that the God of 2023 is still at work. I know if you listen to the news, you'll get discouraged. If you listen to certain people, they'll talk about it's the end of the world. We don't know when the end of the world is, but I know this, God is still at work. And I want to be usable. I want his work to flow through me. So I'm going to pray in faith. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to seek to let the Spirit have His way and just trust that God's going to do something great. The measure of greatness is not today. It's not immediately. It's when we stand on that day and we see what God did. This is our privilege. This is our calling to be used of God. I hope you will embrace it today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. <coughs> I don't know how God's worked in your heart. We won't have any hand raising or anything like that, but... Just bow your heads, speak to the Lord. Mrs. J is going to play a brief hymn and we'll close the service.